Hi, and welcome to Forest for the Future, the series where we look into how innovation in FSC can help save our forests. We all know that forests play a key role in combating climate change and the biodiversity crisis that we're facing. In this series, we explore how innovation, especially within tech tools, but also more broadly, can help us protect our forests and support the mission of FSC, which is to ensure responsible management of our forests worldwide. Today, we're going to take a step out of the technology realm and look into a more tangible one. We are going to talk about how FSC can help establish market access and maintain a market for more than 6 million smallholders producing natural rubber, especially in Southeast Asia, Western Africa and Latin America. FSC has a goal to vastly increase the amount of owners of small pieces of land working with FSC. Many of them will be rubber producers. Our own work on value chain development will be instrumental in reaching this goal, as will be collaboration with other organizations, NGOs and companies. Today, I've invited Sean Nyquist, Value Chain Development Officer for Natural Rubber at FSC, to join me online for a chat on what it actually means when we say that we want to value chain develop, what kind of collaboration we're looking into, and why that is the chosen method of FSC. Let's hear what he said. Hi, Sean, and welcome to the podcast. It's your first time on the show, and you're part of the FSC Value Chain Development team. Can you tell us what that is? Yeah, so thanks for having me on. With FSC certification, we're usually looking at it from the lens of the forest and getting more forest area certified. But in order to do that, it's not enough to just focus on the forest. You cannot just have certified forest to get certified products on the market. We have to look at the whole value chain from the forest all the way to the end consumer. And they all need to be working in unison. Otherwise, you might have a bunch of certified smallholders that got their certification and are expecting a, a premium or an access to market, but then there's not enough certified factories that are ready to supply that material to the mm -hmm. end consumer, or there's not enough end consumers that even know what the FSC label means, then you're going to have a weak link that results in slowdown in, in growth of certified area. So the idea of value chain development is to work with other colleagues within FSC, the network and external stakeholders to try and figure out what is slowing things down. So basically your mission is to identify bottlenecks and remove them one by one. Exactly. That's a very good way of looking at it. So yeah, mm -hmm. it's looking at addressing bottlenecks and where it's different from like theory of constraints with supply chains where you just can focus on one bottleneck. And once you solve that, it opens up opportunities elsewhere. Here it's you can use other stages of the value chain to address the bottleneck. When you have inventory piling up in a factory, it doesn't matter what's going on in the rest of the assembly line. But in the case of FSC certification in the value chain, you can use other stages such as manufacturers or brands to then go and focus on the bottleneck itself and de-bottleneck it. So for example, you can have a footwear brand that wants certified rubber engage with the farmers or with a processor to hone in on that and figure out what's needed to get certified. So your focus is on rubber and that seems like a pretty niche thing for FSC to have a full-time employee on. Why is it important that we focus on rubber? There are a couple of reasons why rubber is a 
a significant commodity to focus on in FSE. The first one is that there's been a lot of historic deforestation related to it. And there are different studies trying to quantify how much deforestation has been caused by rubber. And it's in the millions of hectares just in the last 20 years. And so we focus on the specific value chains of rubber to address rubber-related deforestation. Rubber is unique from a lot of other commodities in that it has a huge number of smallholders that are producing the rubber on small plantations, average of two hectares or three hectares. So you have 85% of the rubber coming from smallholders. If we can figure out how to bring certification to smallholders who can be the protectors of their local forests, then we could probably learn from that and apply this to other commodities where there's smallholder production. So what you're saying basically is that you can create rubber plantations without deforesting the area first. We already have huge areas of land that are set aside for rubber production. Hmm. And it's kind of a mosaic of smallholder plantations. And by having FSC certification, you, you can maintain that mosaic where you have rubber plantations interlaced with natural forest. Mm -hmm. Because FSC certification requires that, say, 10% of the natural forest area is either conserved or restored. So rather than just having 100,000 hectares that's monoculture rubber plantations, you can have this distribution of rubber plantations with natural forest with other types of agriculture. And then the second thing that certification is doing is preventing the conversion of natural forests to new plantations, mm -hmm. trying to get the most out of the, the existing plantations we have. Where in the world is rubber actually produced? Around 90% of natural rubber is produced in South and Southeast Asia, uh, Thailand, Indonesia, and Vietnam being the top three. But just in the last 20 years, West Africa has become a major producer as well. So Ivory mm -hmm. Coast is now the number four largest producer of rubber in the world. And I guess a, a point to draw on that is that you get more rubber plantations when the price goes up for natural rubber. So when you have a recession that turns into a more growing economy, and then there's more tires being sold, more products in general being sold with rubber in it, the price goes up and then natural forests can be converted and turned into rubber plantations. What is your focus in your work then? Because if you're saying there's actually an increase and we need to make sure that we're not seeing new countries soar in the demand and, and the production of rubber causing deforestation, how do you approach working with this value chain and making sure right. that so, there's more FSC demand, I guess? Exactly. It's going back to the original point about rubber maybe being considered more of a niche area, it's definitely a, a niche or emerging when it comes to FSC, probably less than 4% of the natural rubber being used in consumer products is certified. So right now, the focus is really to show to the market that there is a demand for sustainable rubber and that it's possible to get certified. And to do that, the most efficient way is to go and find the best partners. The companies that really want to create an impact and show to their customer base that they're doing the best they can for sourcing sustainable rubber, that they're not contributing to deforestation, finding those companies in each sector. So there's three kind of areas that I would break the market into is mobility, footwear, and then this kind of assortment of products that can be made from concentrated latex, which are things like mattresses and rubber gloves, balloons, condoms. 
there's all these products that can be made by this one grid. So that's why I lump it into that third category. But it's important to find those companies that are looking to be the pioneers in each of those segments. So finding a, a footwear brand that wants to be ahead of its competitors by sourcing FSC or a tire company. We just had Pirelli launch the first FSC certified tire last year with BMW. And by having these companies be the pioneers, that, that it's a win-win for them and for us because they get to show that they're the first to do something and we're able to show to the rest of the market that it's possible. How fast do you then see results? Say, for example, now you've had Pirelli and BMW go out. We have uh, Hunter Boots having an FSC certification on there. Do you see that cross-pollination then? How, how fast do you see results in other parts of those same value chains? I would say it's definitely more of an exponential growth curve than a linear one. Whereas in the last few years, you, we would look at the, the growth of certified area, which is directly linked with the uptake of FSC by end brands. That's been growing relatively linear in the previous few years, but now it's really starting to take off exponentially because when you have these first launches of FSC in a particular segment, then the rest of the segment goes and has something to follow from. So with the launch of the first certified tire, we saw an exponential increase in inquiries from other tire companies mm -hmm. uh, because now they have something to, to copy. And they can see how these first brands market FSD. So it sounds like a lot of your work is identifying brands and working with them. Do you have other tactics in your toolbox that, that you use to, to make sure that, that we get to a place of more certified rubber? Yeah, absolutely. There's other things that come from these rubber plantations. It's not only certified natural rubber, but at the end of these plantations cycle, 25, 30 years, the rubber wood is harvested. So there's companies that probably would never think of each other as being partners, but you have big companies that use these wood panels made from rubber wood. And then you have footwear brands that use the natural rubber and they're sourcing from the same smallholders in many cases. So they both want to show that they're not contributing to deforestation and that they use FSC and they're sourcing from the same plantations. So I think it's not only finding stakeholders or partners in the rubber sector, but also companies in the rubber wood end markets or companies that want bamboo, which can also be grown on rubber plantations and finding these common denominator between companies that might not otherwise be viewed in the same grouping. So it sounds like a lot of your work is really identifying a lot of different partners and seeing where the linkages are and the overlaps are. Absolutely. Right now, rubber is in that emerging phase. So there's there's a lot of people that want to do something and they need agency. They need to find common partners to, to go with. So it's a lot of matchmaking at this point, getting the right people together. So you're one and a half year in now. What has been your biggest learnings in the last year and things that will inform what you will be doing this upcoming year? The one learning would be on the development of smallholder certification. Mm. There's a huge potential for growth coming from two different forms. On one hand, you can have just an increase in the overall number of smallholder groups getting certified, which has happened in the last year. So going from 2020, we had four groups at the end of that year to now there's 15 groups by the end of 2021. So the, the overall number of certified rubber smallholder groups more than tripled. And so that's just leading to growth on its own. And I think a lot of that is coming from existing groups getting certified, seeing a benefit from the market. And then other groups find out about it or other organizations go in and help implement it elsewhere. 
But then the other area of growth is coming from expansion within a smallholder group. You can have a, an original group size of a few hundred members. And as they get that initial certification and they pilot out FSC, then they start to build the market and they can add new members. So a group can go from 300 members in one year and then easily grow to 600 to 900 to they can multiply in size. A lot of people would look at the past development of smallholder certification and see kind of small growth and then use this straight line instinct where they just draw a third point and it's much lower than what actually could be because there's this exponential growth that you can get from new smallholder groups, but also just growing these group sizes. And learning from that is what are the ways that could help accelerate that? And I think it's just showing to the market that smallholder certification is no longer a bottleneck, that there are methods that are proven to link a demand for certified rubber or certified product of any type, taking that demand and linking it to turn out more certified smallholders and in, in, in the end to, to benefit everyone across the supply chain. How do you get that initiative? How do you get an initiative to new groups getting started up. I don't think that a smallholder wakes up one day and say, I'm going to be FSC certified. Let me start a group. That sounds quite unlikely in many cases. So how do you get that growth where you get into the exponential curve? What are the things that we could do that you could do that anybody out there could do really to push that growth along? I would say there's no silver bullet for replicating this and getting more smallholder groups. But what is probably a good way to start is to look at Thailand as a case study, because when I mentioned there's 15 certified smallholder groups for natural rubber, 14 of those 15 are in Thailand. So there's clearly a, a good ecosystem there for FSC and for smallholder certification. And it's the summation of well, good FSC resources. There's a lot of partners we have, WWF, IKEA, the Rubber Authority of Thailand. And, and then now there's the next step is having a lot of consultants and, and CBs that are becoming more active there. And I think we can let certification in Thailand run its course. It's already on a, a healthy exponential growth trend right now. But what we can do is take what's happening there and try to replicate it in other countries. Going back to the example of Vietnam, where there's a lot of demand for certified rubber for the footwear sector and certified rubber wood, we can see what's been working in Thailand and use that as a success story and, and learn from the maybe the successes and also the mistakes that have occurred there. Mm -hmm. But do we know then what it was that made the success in Thailand? I think initially it was a lot of engagement from partner NGOs like WWF and also from IKEA just trying to ex expand its certified rubber wood supply. But what I'm seeing now is that there's also a lot of different actors that are finding efficient ways to grow certification. And one way is basically having a third party come in and set up a group. There are companies that have background in auditing and forestry and chain of custody, and then they have the IT skills to, to put it together in order to get groups trained on certification and manage all the resources. And it is one of the things being done in Thailand. So if you can get a company that wants certified rubber and they, they don't know how to get smallholders organized or trained on certification, they can find a third party. That's their specialty. That's what they're paid to do. So that's a really good way. Is this then something that, that you are pursuing to see happen in Vietnam? Are you trying to get that initiative for similar groups there? Yes. 
we're doing a little bit of matchmaking of companies and organizations that we know are able to bring different skills and capabilities in order to get certified value chain from small order plantations to the both the rubber factories and the rubber wood processing factories. So it's starting with a partner NGO that already has local resources, and then these big companies that want certified rubber wood and footwear brands that want certified rubber, and just bringing them together and under a common goal of trying to get certified rubber plantations in Vietnam. In the beginning, it's just that common goal and having the right people, and then it's starting to find low-hanging fruit. So where are there already smallholder groups that could be in a position to get certified? And then from there, where are there factories that these end companies are sourcing panels from or are sourcing specific grades of rubber from? And then just starting to map that out and finding out where should we get factories certified and where would those plantations be? It's a little mm -hmm. bit like putting together a puzzle. It sounds like something where you would also normally travel and get to know a lot of people. And I, I see you're in your home office. I actually think in the one and a half years I've almost known you now, I don't think I've ever seen you anywhere else than in that home office. You started just when COVID hit. How have you had to revise all your strategies to actually get your work off the ground? It's a good point. I've actually never been to a rubber plantation. <laughs> I'm hoping to change that. I think it's really important to actually meet with the smallholders and the stakeholders that are actually doing this. This is not just an FSC that has to deal with this. There's also big rubber traders that are trying to help grow FSC certification, and they're not able to travel to Vietnam or to Thailand to build that trust and build those relationships. But we just have to use the tools that we have. And like I said, from end of 2020 to end of 2021, the number of smallholder groups tripled. So it is still working, even with the challenges of COVID. And we're doing the best of trying to bring companies and, and NGOs together with digital tools. But I'm hoping to get over to Southeast Asia in the next few months in order to actually make those connections. So you haven't been able to travel there. What have you done? Like, How are you then instead communicating or trying to get the message across, especially to maybe to prospects that are looking into certification or where you'd like to see growth in certification? So there's a ton of different stakeholders across the value chain of rubber from the smallholders to automotive brands, the footwear brands, and the end consumer. And it's really important to convey messages of what FSC brings in terms of value proposition to each of these stakeholders and how it's protecting in the end the forests and it's, it's providing a more sustainable solution to consumers. So what we did is we hired a third party agency to actually go and interview the smallholder groups that have gotten certification and talk about what their plantation or what their area looked like before getting certified and comparing it with what it looks like now. And we're taking these interviews and also the footage from above the plantations, the local area to try to convey directly to brands and, and manufacturers, what are the benefits of FSC and what does smallholder certification look like? So it's kind of bringing the smallholders to the stakeholders that we work with. Mm -hmm. And really trying to, I guess, bring that learning in alternative ways and traveling there. Has COVID been the biggest challenge for the sector or does that sector, the rubber sector, have other things that makes it difficult for it to transition towards sustainability? I think that the biggest challenge is growing certification in a balanced way across the supply chain. 
that as you grow certified forest era, that you're also making sure that manufacturers and, and product manufacturers are also working towards chain of custody certification. We're building, growing this in rhythm and COVID is, is exacerbating that challenge because it's hard to sometimes meet with people and, and convey that. But I guess that whole sector also isn't the easiest sector to work with. I mean, you have smallholders and often smallholders also mean that there's middlemen and that there's traders in between, etc. Is that a systemic challenge for them as well in terms of getting to a point where a final product can be certified? There's definitely different challenges in different geographies and different markets. And the hardest situation to address is the tire sector. Because first of all, the factories that make rubber for tires, they're bigger. They're not requiring as high quality grades of raw material. So the material can travel hundreds of kilometers or days. It doesn't go bad like liquid latex does. So what that allows is these really long supply chains that are harder to track back to the forest. In the end, makes it more difficult to have a chain of custody with good integrity. And then because they're bigger sourcing areas, there's more smallholder groups. The grade of rubber is not as high quality and therefore not as high priced. So there's not as much willingness to pay premium for tire grade rubber. And then in the end, there aren't that many tire companies. So there are these huge companies that have more market power. They don't have to move as quickly as say a footwear brand that's competing with hundreds of other brands that are trying to outcompete them on sustainability. So that's the hardest sector to tackle. So all the more kudos to Pirelli and BMW for actually making it happen. What was the solution that we found there? In the end, the most important thing is that there has to be an end market for FSC. There has to be a demand for it and then a partner that steps up to the challenge. And I think mm -hmm. that's exactly what happened with, with this case. And they worked with their supply chain for years and were able to produce this. Does it take years also, if you look at other commodities, like you were mentioning liquid latex or footwear, should brands be prepared that it takes years before they can get it certified? I think the early pioneers are the ones that have to spend the most time. So once it's mm -hmm. done the first time, it's easier to replicate. So I hope that now, and even in the tire sector, that it would not take years and years, but the amount of time to expand would, would be less. But certainly in the concentrated latex products or the footwear segment, the quantities aren't as big and the supply chains are shorter. So it should be much quicker, especially since there are already a lot of smallholders that are certified. So why aren't all shoes then certified yet? The reason they're not all certified yet is because the brands are maybe a little bit behind on the information of what is available. So a lot of it is going down to the fact that brands at the end of the supply chain often don't know where the rubber is coming from, and they might not feel that they have influence over their supply chain to figure that out. And mm -hmm. what we're trying to do is connect them with the right partners, us included in that, to map out their supply chain and realize that it is possible to find certified rubber, which is coming from a specific place. Mm -hmm. And one area, just having worked with you on this case, was the, mm -hmm. the footwear certification source from Thailand. There's been a few brands that have been actively trying to find certified rubber. Icebug is a really small brand. Kudos to them for really taking the responsibility and making sure that they are sourcing sustainable rubber. They had worked with us for over a year to try to find a factory that would be willing to get chain of custody certification for the grade of rubber that they need. 
And mm-hmm. they and, and Hunter have really been engaging with a rubber trader that could demonstrate to the this specific factory that there was enough demand for FSC rubber. If they were to get certified, then mm-hmm. they would buy from him. And that factory then getting certified opens the floodgate for plenty of other big brands to then source FSC rubber from them. So mm-hmm. it started with a really tiny footwear brand in Sweden and a rubber boot brand, Hunter, that are really pushing to get certified rubber. And then that opens the floodgate for other brands to replicate or just source from these factories as well. Yeah. And I know that I spoke because I just talked to them this week that the the first certified shoes, hopefully with the logo on them, will soon land on the market, which we're all looking forward to. So that was a success story. If you then look ahead into the next couple of years, what are the biggest opportunities for success stories out there that you're looking at? One big thing is GPSNR. That's the global platform of sustainable natural rubber. They bring together half of the global market for natural rubber into one multi-stakeholder organization. And it's basically to raise the floor in terms of rubber sustainability. And in the next year, I'm really hoping to work with them in order to establish FSC as a proven solution for these companies to fulfill the requirements of GPSNR. So if we can work with them and see them like partners, it's a way for us to get huge number of these tire companies and factories. Another thing is we have Thailand as a good case study, but we need to replicate that in many other countries that are producing rubber, not only in, in Asia, but also in West Africa. In the Africa Regional Office, they're working to establish a national standard for Ivory Coast and that would really open the door for some tire companies that are sourcing rubber from there. I think another big opportunity is for other non-timber forest products like bamboo, honey, nut trees are also grown on plantations. But this is a kind of an insurance policy and a more diversified portfolio for the smallholders. And if we look at, at a plantation as being able to provide not only rubber, but all these other products, it would really boost the economic activity of the of the plantation and provide a, maybe a more diverse ecosystem locally. So I think agroforestry is really a good opportunity for rubber. Mm-hmm. Is there any other things out there that we should be aware of when it comes to rubber? You were talking about conversion earlier on and, and the fact that a lot of these plantations are based on areas that were actually deforested after 1994. Can we then even grow into those areas? Exactly. So like I said, about probably over half of rubber is coming from areas that were deforested after 1994. But a lot of these big companies are part of the conversation in the global platform for sustainable natural rubber. They want to raise the floor. They want to be part of the solution. And CFSC is hopefully a way to prove that. But right now, given the 1994 rule and uh, policy for association, it's not currently possible for them to fulfill the promises of GPSNR using FSC. So it's really important that we involve these type of companies that want to raise the bar within their own supply chain within their own plantations, that we include them in these conversations that we're having right now on policy for conversion and policy for association and remedy framework for looking at how can we remediate and, and resolve some of these past issues without losing the, the opportunity to include these major stakeholders for the future? That relates to GPSNR, where, again, 50% of the rubber market is part of. And mm-hmm. we want to really position ourselves as a way to fulfill those requirements while also finding other opportunities outside of that membership. And then a third opportunity is something that we haven't talked about at all, 
so far we've really just focused on virgin natural rubber. So coming from plantations, but there's a huge opportunity with recycled rubber. Up until now, it's been very difficult for that to make a, an opening because rubber is vulcanized and it's hard to, to devulcanize and reclaim rubber and, and use it at the same performance levels in tires and, and other products that really require high quality. But there are always technology developments. So we're talking with one startup that claims to have a more advanced way to recycle rubber. And they're starting with mining tires. So these huge tires that are a high percentage of natural rubber that at the end of their life in excavating stuff from mines, they are just left at the bottom of the mine, like in a landfill. And they estimate that 450,000 metric tons of natural rubber is left in these mines per year. And if they have an opportunity to recycle these into high performance tires and other products. So I think that's really an opportunity that we really need to, to look at as we can have certified version rubber, but, but we should also really look at the opportunity to recycle rubber so that there's less pressure on growing the, the number of plantations. Last question. It sounds like there's some big opportunities out there and, and this whole recycling sounds very promising and something I'll have to return to you on whether that becomes a reality or not. But if I'm to return to you in three years, what do you hope that we will be able to report on rubber? How far have we come then? Well, I think in three years time, it should be really well established that FSC is a scalable and comprehensive solution for addressing the, the challenges for natural rubber sustainability. And what that would look like is that there is a high let's call it market share of companies that are using FSC with, it, with a stated preference and not only in rubber, but any other forest products, and that it's not just occurring in these more progressive sectors like mattresses and footwear, but also in these big majority segments like tires. Nobody could say that FSE isn't scalable, that 6 million smallholders is no longer a, an excuse that the tire companies are using because there's already been a lot of cases of certified tires. So I hope that we can just prove through more and more case examples that certification is a, a scalable option. And that there's a market preference for FSC. I will certainly do my very best to help you make that dream come true so that we do see more FSC certified products out there. Thank you for your time and for explaining more about the rubber sector and your work in value chains with me. Thank you. That's it. Let's hope Sean's vision for the future comes true. That not only will FSC certified shoes be the market norm in three years, but that we also will see tires and other main uses of natural rubber move to FSC. And that the vast majority of the 6 million smallholders producing rubber will be the ones to see the benefits from this change. Getting better price premiums, getting better working conditions, having better options overall. Along with our forests, water resources and biodiversity, of course. I, for one, am going to use all of my power as a consumer to ask for certified rubber products going forward. This also concludes the end of this podcast episode. If you want to get in touch with us or follow our work, I strongly encourage you to join our LinkedIn group. It's called FSC Digital Innovations and it's open for everyone. You can also always get in touch with me on digitalinput at fsc.org. I am Laura Worm and this was Forest for the Future.